Chapter 6-4, a podcast that tells stories of successes, failures, and learnings for Kiwi tech organizations. I'm your host, Bradley Scott, and each episode I invite co-hosts and guests to tell a story of an important part of a Kiwi tech organization's journey. Pushpay emerged very quickly to become a fixture amongst the tech scene in New Zealand. With a valuation of over 2 billion New Zealand dollars and revenues exceeding 250 million, Pushpay is still growing steadily after its hype growth periods during 2014 and 2015. Last episode, we discussed important funding milestones in the company's history and tips on how to navigate during times of high growth. This episode, we're going to discuss another topic that Pushpay exceeded at attracting and growing talented product and engineering teams. So about the time of the hypergrowth period, I was at zero and I had one eye watching what you all at Pushpay were doing. And there seemed to be a very strong magnet inside Pushpay that was drawing top technical talent to the company. And it appeared you had a very strong reputation. Josh, I was hoping that you could share a little bit about what that reputation was, why it worked and what it had to do with ponies. (laughs) <laughs> it, it didn't really have anything to do with ponies i'm josh rob i think i was employee number 12 or something in um, january 2014 i don't even know if i can totally answer that really i mean we just i was reasonably well networked in auckland by the time i started at Pushpay, and i was networked with a bunch of people that i thought were smart people and i spent a lot of time asking them to come and work with us really and had lots of other people asking them the same question and it was obvious that we had a whole bunch of really interesting technical problems to work on um, and it was quite greenfield. So I've actually, it's funny, I found a screenshot uh, the other weekend, not in preparation for this, but I was just reviewing some old stuff of a message that I sent Pete Goodman, who's now the VP of engineering at Pushpay um, in 2014 saying, it's obvious we need to build an entire new infrastructure environment for Pushpay. Come lead building that with me. And I mean, that's a pretty... <laughs> You know, to have it at that stage by sort of May or June, like we were well funded in 2014. We had a, you know, very, very early but good growth track. Um, we had some really interesting problems to work on. It's kind of the crack cocaine of engineering, really. Like limited technical debt, limited decisions have been made. You get to kind of come and make your own choices. Um, and we also, the other thing that we did, I mean, this this kind of, I could do a whole podcast on this, to be honest, but we, we, um, we set a really high technical bar. Um, and so the interview process at Push Bay at the time was quite notorious for being quite grueling. Um, not mean, but just it was a whole day, you know, there was a couple of pre-interviews and there was a whole day technical interview. Um, at the time, I don't think any other New Zealand business, certainly not at scale, was doing that. Um, and it wasn't easy to pass it. And so that kind of, you know, inherently creates a certain cachet and a certain desire amongst people that think they've got the chops to want to come and test themselves with the best. Um, and it was effective. When I when I knew it was working was when we started asking people why did you apply or why did you apply to to work at Pushpay and people started repeating back to us. I wanted to know if I was good enough. I wanted to know if I was good enough to join the team. And, and to be clear, like in in Pushpay's context, um, you know, it, it, the, the technical um, requirements of the product didn't leave much margin for error. We were processing real money in real time. 
on a prototype and it was at the beginning of 2014 it was absolutely a prototype i remember kind of getting there and i already knew the technical situation pretty clearly because i've been involved on an unpaid basis for about three years at that point and i remember thinking man i wonder if the hewlett's realize just quite how um immature this is from a technology perspective <laughs> i remember we were hosting at the time with a, a new zealand based hosting company um that was effectively one person and i remember a conversation with paul i had several conversations with paul about this two things happened that forced us to change that the first was that the hosting company had a disagreement with our CTO at the time and took offense to something he'd said that wasn't particularly offensive. It was just, you know, maybe slightly casual or informal in, in terms of business communication, but it wasn't rude. And they called Paul and said, Paul, you need to fire your CTO or we won't host you anymore. To which I said no. <laughs> and then this, and then about two months later, while we were in the process of planning to sort of move away from them, the guy that owned the business went on a European holiday for two and a half months. And I remember needing technical support and him calling me from a ship's phone while he was on a cruise in the Baltic and me thinking, man, like if something serious happened, like we would be so, so screwed right now. It's unreal. So, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of early decisions in all parts of the business that needed to be unwound and really needed some adult sort of thinking to kind of help solve them. So not just from a business systems perspective, but also from a tech perspective. You didn't really elaborate on the ponies thing, and I'm not going to let you get away with that. <laughs> we um, we grew the team really quickly. So I think um, two of us, in January 2014, there were two contractors that were the, effectively the core engineering team. There was another contractor that was finishing up. There was a part-time tester, and there was a contract designer. That was the entire dev team. And then two of us started on the same day, me and a guy called Carl Prosser, who's also a really important person in the push pay story. Carl's a Kiwi, but he's based in America. He's been living there for about 20 years. Um, and had been working at Microsoft on Office 365 before he joined us. Chris met him somewhere randomly through an employment lawyer that Chris had met um, and convinced him to join a really early stage business. I actually can't Still can't work out why Carl joined. Carl's a phenomenal, phenomenal engineer. But anyway, we were super lucky to have him. And he's still working for Pushbay and still doing really some of the scariest work that they have going, to be honest, um, in the depths of the payment rails. So the team grew really quickly over 2014. I think we were at about 20 people by January 2015 in product and engineering. Audrey started... When did you start, Audrey? January 2015. January, That's yeah. That's when yeah. I was uh, coming off. Maddie. So the team... The team got too big to manage as a single as a single team, and so we needed to split the team up into sort of you know focused smaller teams within it. And so in maybe February or March 2015, we broke it into three or four teams or five teams. I can't remember. And we needed to name them, and so they started this the big the big fight about how we were going to name the teams. By this stage, I was the VP of Engineering, and. Um, there was a lot of discussion around should we name them after superheroes or should every team choose their own name or whatever else and i was like this is terrible and i didn't really particularly want a superhero laced culture in my engineering team that didn't strike me as a particularly good nod towards diversity um i was aware of brony culture although not really a uh, active participant in it and i was like actually you know what would be funny is making everyone choose a my little pony there's a lot of them um, and so I came in one morning, I was like, actually, all the teams are going to be named after My Little Ponies. Everyone started complaining instantly, but I knew I'd won within about 20 minutes when people started fighting over which pony they were going to choose. Um, and that was it. So after that, 
every push pay team is named after a My Little Pony. I, 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 I loved that they started choosing the most manly sounding pony names. So they started off, you know, choosing Spitfire and things like that. But it, they, they very quickly changed when they realized how little merch there was available for these obscure ones and everyone went for the mainstream ones. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wanted the, it quickly it became which ponies have the most merch that I can deck out my cubicle with or my team area. So. And we ended up printing like big full, well, not big full, but massive <coughs> printed ponies for every team. So choosing, commissioning a new pony was a big deal at Push Bay. So Josh, if you had a team yourself and had to name it, which pony would you have chosen? Well, I did choose one and I chose Applejack, who is clearly the best pony by a lot. So I feel like I need to invite other Push Bay guests onto the podcast <laughs> merely to debate the merits of their pony. <laughs> Well, we, we had Penny for a while. Penny, too, yeah, we, the, that's right. The the push pay one that uh, Kylie J, who was looking after our, um, I guess our em, em, employer branding, came up with, and that was that was really popular too. And I think to this day, people still got Penny Penny the Pony uh, stickers on their on their laptops. Yeah, and I, I think you know we we joke about it, but it it was a really fun part of building out that employer brand. So, you know, Josh Josh undersells himself a little bit. Uh, with how how big a deal it was with him joining and bringing in his network of talent um, and that sort of virtuous cycle that got created there. Um, The problems and challenges we had was definitely something that was interesting. Um, We were also getting talked about a lot more. The the profile was raising and that really helped. Um, But we we also started having fun with things. And, you know, look, we we had a business that was serving the faith sector and there's a lot of real hard problems to solve for for that community and there's some good work that comes out of what we did for those for those sector but not everybody gets it right not everybody's into 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 church not everybody understands it not everybody wants to be part of it necessarily and you know by embracing the pony culture and and with kylie J producing our, our penny the push pay pony um we were able to sort of poke fun at it a little bit and, and and demonstrate that there was a culture at push pay that wasn't necessarily all about uh, church and God and Jesus. It was a it was a culture about solving really hard problems, but having fun while we did it. You mentioned the period that Audrey joined, and so for many companies, that stage where you realize and grow up and grow into having product management is is quite an important part of the story. Tell us all a little bit about how that came about and push pay and what it was like pre product management. Uh, entering having product management and then and then the period after that. So in April 2014, Chris came back to New Zealand to do some capital raising activities. I think we ran an investor um, roadshow or something. Do you remember that event, Paul? So the, that wasn't the one at the hotel. That was the one at the hotel, mm. yeah. Um, so we because we did another capital raise in April. Was it I nine? Think, prior to nine the mil? Can't remember. Yeah, I think it was yeah. nine mil because we used five mil of that to buy on the red. Oh, that's right. To write by on red. So Chris came back and as part of his trip back, he had this planning session with the product engineering team. And the roadmap was so transparent because we were already selling the product in the States and every single sale raised the same objections. So it was really, really easy to work out what to build. And so in that first part of 2014, there was kind of three or four big things that the, we had to do. We had to add at the in January 2014, the Pushpay product only allowed you to have one credit card attached to your account. And I don't know if you know much about America, but most people have more than one credit card. So 
not being able to have multiple cards and choose which one you want to use is, was kind of a major problem. It didn't support US bank payments, so we needed to add support for US bank payments, which are called ACH. Um, and there was maybe a couple of other things we needed, like an uh, we needed Amex and Discover was the other thing, so we needed to support more card brands, and that was it. And that was it doesn't sound like much, but it was actually quite a lot of complexity, especially ACH and multiple cards, actually in Amex and Discover, all of those were big, big initiatives. So the roadmap... Well, especially especially when we were growing the team so rapidly right. at the time as well. We, we you know, 30% of our time was in recruiting yep. and interviewing yep. and, and onboarding. Yep. So, so, so the roadmap was super, super clear. Um, and we had some really aggressive goals because of the IPO and also because we had some customer acquisition targets. And we knew that there was this huge sort of... Um, opportunity in terms of we were first movers in the space no one else was offering kind of mobile optimized giving solutions to churches and the fact that everyone now had a mobile phone at church meant there was a big opportunity to change the culture in churches and if we didn't execute on this quickly there was a lot of pressure to sort of um be a first mover because we knew there was going to be some tailwinds there and we knew we'd be able to go back through our lost deals and close a whole bunch of stuff if we could deliver the features quickly so that first kind of nine months of 2014 was really just Try and grow the team as fast as you can, and then execute on these three or four major roadmap initiatives uh, at the same time. And so, by the time we got to September, we delivered just about everything that we committed to. Um, and all of a sudden, we found ourselves going, "Well, what what should what should the team work on next?" And there wasn't a clear answer to that within certainly within the product and engineering team or within the business. We didn't even have a way to answer that question well. And so, I remember in September. Um, we introduced this, let's let the engineers just kind of catch up and clean up some stuff for a month project. It's amazing uh, how common that is when you reach that point where you well, you realize it's not obvious. Like we've got a lot of technical debt that suddenly, <laughs> you know, like it's now's the best time to, to sort that out. It, it turns out that there was some probably much, much higher priority issues that needed to be addressed, but they hadn't been captured or triaged, backlogged, scoped, validated or anything else. Um, and so as a result, there was some real discontent within the executive team and without the rest of the business about the fact that no one was working on, you know, the VP of sales or the VP of customer success's top issue at that point in time. Um, and so it caused some real ill will. And as a result, it kind of forced a bit of a reckoning. So we started working on some features, but the features were really poorly validated and in quite a lot of the time hadn't really been thought through. They were based on sort of like, oh, it'd be nice if, but no real further requirements had been elicited or you know no real structured thinking had been done there'd be no real process and so we built a bunch of features in the sort of last couple of months of 2014 and probably had a below 50% strike rate on those features um, a lot of them didn't solve the actual customer problem or they hadn't considered how they would impact operationally other parts of the business um, and they caused a lot of problems and in fact some of those features that we built took years to recover from both from a technical debt perspective and from a what they did to the rest of the business perspective. So it was really, really obvious. So by about September, I was agitating really strongly. I was VP Eng at that point in time that we needed some experienced product management in the business. We had a CTO who was responsible for products, but he hadn't actually run a product function at scale inside a product business before. And I knew Audrey, I'd worked with her previously. Um, she'd been incredible in the previous role that I'd worked with her on. And I'd actually been agitating to hire her for the whole year. Um, and so really started kind of ramping up the, the need to bring her in. So I'll let her tell her version of that, that story. But it was definitely not an easy entry because while the symptoms of a lack of product management were really obvious, the let's 
get a product manager and obviously implies a whole bunch of relinquishing of control from various other parties to allow someone to do their job. And that path had not been well developed. Yeah, I guess Josh called me one day and said, hey, we really need some product management help. And I said, oh, well, I'm just about to have a baby. I'm not really interested in moving on. He's like, it's okay. Just have a call. Just take a call. And I said, oh, okay, maybe I'll take a call. So I actually, I think, I think I met, actually, I said, I think we decided to wait. And he said, okay, that's fine. And then I think a month later, after I had my baby, uh, Paul Shingles calls me. <laughs> so we set up a time, we have a big chat and he's like, when can you start? And it's like, well, I just had a baby, so I can't start <laughs> until like, maybe like, give me a few months, like maybe like, you know, January next year, I'm moving back to Auckland. He's like, oh, think, we really need I, someone think, now. I think I asked if you could do it remotely for a while. <laughs> What's your, what's your husband doing? He can look after baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was interesting. I, I don't know why I didn't do it, though. <laughs> but anyhow, I think, um, yeah, in the end, I think you decided to actually continue looking for somebody because I think, you know, you, you did recognize that you had problems and you needed to bring someone on board. But I think in October, um, we reconnected and you still hadn't found the right fit. So um, at that point, we decided that I'd come on board and I started to started to have conversations with the team, even though I wasn't officially working with the company, just to kind of give some guidance as to like, what are the kind of the key areas that we needed to focus on? And then I think I had a, a call about, oh, I want to hire this BA. Should I hire the BA? And then I think we, they, the BA ended up getting hired anyways. And I said, well, just do what you think is best and I'll come on board and we'll figure it out when I get there in January. So I started in January uh, 2015. So I moved back. Uh, from Australia at that time, so it was back in Auckland. And when I think when I joined the team, it was about twenty was about twenty engineers at that stage. Yeah. So I walked in that day, and I think people asked me what am what should I work on tomorrow, <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. And so um, I think maybe thinking about like my title, I realized, oh, okay, yeah, you do have a delivery problem as well. So my title at the time that I came in at was product delivery manager. And so I think that really spoke to perhaps I think maybe this is probably uh, where Paul thought the the problem was at that point, which was a delivery problem as opposed to necessarily the whole st strategic problem as well. Um, so if we started on the delivery problem, to be honest, so we were trying to figure out, OK, well, what should you work on tomorrow? So we started to look at, hey, what are the things that we know about that we think are important and that we could actually work on tomorrow? So we started to try and work on, well, what should we work on tomorrow? What should we work on next week? What should we work on next month? What should we work on next quarter? And we kind of ended up working kind of towards that goal of getting to the quarter so that eventually we would get to kind of directionally where we wanted to get to uh, in the next 12 months. But I think that took a lot of work. So we did a lot of in, like a lot of stakeholder interviews, a lot of time with um, Paul. I uh, spent a lot of time in Paul's office, very nerve wracking in the beginning. <laughs> um, but I think uh, we had a really great time working things out. But we were also... Um, at that time, not only did we have our product, but we also had our, um, so the, the, the backend sort of um, uh, application for church administrators, but we also had uh, where our focus had been, which was the mobile app. And we had a lot of focus on the 10 second, 10 second giving experience at that time. And so um, there was a lot of focus in the mobile app at that point, and that was the push pay app. So we had not at this point launched the, uh, the church apps. Um, but I think the key problem was, that Chris really wanted annual giving statements because without annual giving statements, he was not able to convince larger churches to be able to buy the product because it was a big problem for bookkeepers. But the problem with annual giving statements was that there was a lot of prerequisites in order to get to that point. And so, um, about four and I think years what, worth, maybe. 
<laughs> yeah. And so I think uh, painting the picture and painting the road to getting to giving statements, I think went a long way to helping, but it didn't help the problem of I want it now. It was just more about the, the, the process of how do I get what I actually need to get to. And so we, we did a lot of work really to tr try and understand what the pathway to getting to ultimately annual giving statements was. Um, but that was a long road. Uh, in addition to that, um, I think uh, Paul and Josh had already talked about a little bit about the processing um, side of the business as well. And we were doing, we were actually creating um, a more streamlined onboarding pathway for our customers for processing as well. And we built a, a tool to support our customers with that. So those were probably the first two projects that I worked on. One, to get onboarding, um, onboarding for processing. Um, the time to actually onboard customers uh, reduced from, I think, weeks to days, I think was our was our aim. And so that was one of the key projects that we had because I think our focus at that time was really to, um, you know, try and bring forward revenue, basically. So try, how do we get customers on board and start helping them earn, uh, you know, increase their donations as well as to help uh, bring forward that revenue. The other, um, other live issue at this point in time was that there was a perception in the business that product was overhead compared to engineers. Um, and there was quite a lot of work happening in the background, particularly with Paul and I doing education with the exec team to some extent and with the board as well, that just because product managers don't code doesn't mean they're not, they're not important. And so there was a whole conversation there about why do you, why do you want to add more heads if they're not coders? Like what are they going to do and what value are they going to add? And so there was a whole kind of, negotiation there where it was like look in order for a, a development team to be effective here are the different roles that need to exist and i think the the end up at least the way that i remember this paul and correct me if you have a different memory but we ended up building a model that was like okay every four engineers need a supporting tester we need like 0.5 of a supporting designer and we need 0.5 of a supporting product function person to help support that just to try and justify the ratios because Within the business, certainly at the end of 2014, early 2015, there was a perception at the board level and at the exec level that all we needed was more software developers to throw into the mill and we'd get more goodness out of it. And one of the really nice outcomes of the bad September, let the developers decide what they want to work on <laughs> experiment was that it kind of gave us some actual tangible sort of evidence of how that was not really going to lead to successful outcomes to the business going forward. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, um, you know, it, it kind of kind of relates to, to why Audrey's title was delivery uh, when she came on board, because, you know, there's a perception, certainly at, at a senior level, that we didn't have a product uh, decision problem. We had a product delivery problem. You know, it wasn't what we build. You should just build what Chris wants us to build. Um, Chris wants annual giving statements. Yeah. Why, don't he, why doesn't he have them? So, so we don't have a product yeah. management problem. We have a product delivery problem. And the reason we, we were able to get the, get, get the you know, senior leadership and the board across uh, why it was important to have product delivery was because we were losing engineering time to, to make some of the decisions and to make some of the research, do some of the research and, and do some of the decisioning that needs to happen in order to build our thing. And we, you know, we promised more capacity and more throughput, more output from the engineering team in order to get there. And it was once we started, you know, getting Audrey and getting some horsepower behind it and starting to see the value of a little bit of research, a little bit of thinking up front that we were then able to pivot the business into how product as a function was a, it was a net contributor, not a net deduction. And that dynamic of founders, founder CEOs, and product management 
is almost a cliche in product management circles and it's a substantial topic and one that we're going to dedicate the whole of our next episode to in our conversations with Audrey and Josh and Paul. So do keep your ears out for that one. This has been 6.4, a podcast that tells stories of successes, failures, and learnings for Kiwi tech organizations. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know, and share it with someone else who you think would enjoy it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please get in contact to suggest them. Until next episode, goodbye.